Happy anniversary to Trinity folks and a warm welcome to everyone who's visiting today. We're glad you're here uh, for a day when we, uh, I suppose we celebrate. Uh, It's not something we've made a big fuss about, uh, but it's uh, an anniversary nonetheless. We've been meeting for one year and I I was just reminiscing a little bit, thinking back about that and how that uh, how that was for us. And for those of you that weren't here, just to give you a glimpse of that. For those of you that were, maybe this will bring back fond memories. But we met for a while on Sunday afternoons for prayer. And uh, it became prayer and soup. And the, the soup was good and the fellowship was good and the room was small and we were squeezed in there. And that was a special time. And it became obvious that this was becoming a church group. And so we started looking for a venue. I remember uh, Al doing a lot of work chasing a venue. And uh, seeing different places. I think Al and I were the only ones that had seen this. And this actually was plan B for us. Plan A was, uh, was somewhere else. We asked for that. They said no. And now we say, thank you, Lord, that that's what happened because uh, this is much better. This works in a way that wouldn't have. A year ago, first Sunday in January, we came in and uh, at nine o'clock and we had 90 minutes before the first service started. So we had to find the, the light switch, find the tables, find the chairs. And for those of you that were here, remember the PA? The Olympiad PA, that was exciting, single speaker and uh, one guitar, and it was awkward. And, and we survived that. We got through that. We... And so we, we had uh, meetings where we were discussing uh, the, the church handbook, and then we started life groups, and we launched Crash, and we eventually got a room for Kids Club and launched Kids Club. And uh, there was some picnic meeting in the summer in a park, which is hard to imagine now that you'd want to ever go to a park. Uh, but in the summer, we did that, and that kind of became open house. And, and over the year, a lot of things have started. There's been a lot of work behind the scenes, a lot of uh, security checks and all that kind of stuff, all the legal stuff. And I just want to say, first of all, thank you to God for bringing us this far. It's been an adventure, and it's, uh, it's been a, an exciting thing. But I want to say thank you from the startup team, the leadership, to everyone who's a part of Trinity too, because there's a lot of man hours that have gone in, a lot of effort on refreshments and setup and life groups and all the different ministries and the behind the scenes stuff. And we're really thankful for that crash is a massive amount of work. And so just on behalf of the the startup team, let me express a huge thank you to everyone uh, for what's happened. And we're not there yet. This is a first anniversary, but we're still in this kind of getting started phase. There's an awful lot of things. If you want, I can fill you in, but through my eyes, I can see a lot of things. And I know that many of us spot things that, oh, we've still got to get that going. We've still got to get that right. There's still things that we want to fix to make church the way we want it to be. But it's really exciting uh, to be a part of something like this. So uh, we're excited with this new series too, Transformed. Because the vision of the church, as Andy said, is for all to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. And that statement, that thought, is something that is worth pondering. It's worth chewing on. Uh, Because uh, it's easy, isn't it, to think about church as being religious. As something you do. Something that kind of is a part of the schedule. And to, to miss the fact that actually what we're doing here is just gathering together. But really Christianity isn't about this. It's about what God's doing in us as people and through us for others. Let, let's go on a little tour uh, over here. We've got a banner and um, it becomes part of the furniture after a while. So 
Uh, for some of you who've been here for a year, you're probably looking at this going, oh, I hadn't spotted that. But it's here, and it says, all to be transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity. And then we've got this statement that's from the handbook. It says, the gospel is an invitation to the Father's love revealed in Christ and poured out into our hearts by the Spirit. So we desire to live lives of wholehearted response shaped by the following values, loving God, loving one another, loving our neighbors. The gospel, the gospel, that word gospel, a very Christian word, it means the good news, the message. And the message that we have is a message uh, that's really an invitation to the Father's love revealed in Christ, poured into our hearts by the Spirit. And that is what transforms lives. It's who our God is that brings about transformation. It's not up to us. It's not how hard we try or how many uh, new leaves we turn over or how many resolutions we make. Transformation comes as we encounter God and he works in us to change us. And that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about what it means to be transformed by encountering God's love. Now, when we're thinking about this series, we, we thought, well, let's make sure we get into some real issues. Because it's easy to talk about transformation and keep it on a very kind of churchy level. But actually, when you listen to Jesus preaching, when you read the Gospels and you see Jesus out there teaching, he was teaching about real issues. And so we want to get into some real issues over the next three weeks. We're going to think about transformation in respect to money. Because money is a huge part of our lives. It's a huge subject in the Bible. And we're going to think about how transformation of the gospel affects the way we spend or think about or dream about money. We're going to think about our time and how we invest our time and where we put our discretionary time and and what we pour our energies into. Because again, that's a massive feature of all of our lives. And then on the final week, we're going to think about the whole area, the whole subject of sex and sexuality, which again is something that we'll find is God's design for us, whether we're single, married, whatever, there's a design there that's made us, how can I put it? It's made it impossible for us to just be blobs that are uninterested in the world around us. There's a drive within us that God has put there. And there's all sorts of complexity and difficulty, but the Bible addresses that. And we're going to be thinking about that too. So we're going to get into some real meaty stuff. But where do we start? Where do we begin a series that's going to go into those subjects? And so as we're thinking about this, as I was pondering this, I thought that to me the obvious place to go is a passage in the New Testament that Paul wrote. He wrote this letter and he wrote it to a group of young Christians. It was to a new church, a church that he'd started. And he'd only been there a short time. And already the gospel was transforming lives. And so if you want to grab a Bible, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, and I'm going to go one-handed here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, which is on page 986, if you have one of the black Bibles, except just in a tricky way, it doesn't have a page number on the page. So it's the one left of 987. Uh, It's just something Bible publishers do. Um, So page 986, 1 Thessalonians. And this is Paul, who was um, an early follower of Jesus. Paul had been converted. He'd encountered Jesus. He'd he'd come, in his case, literally face-to-face with the risen Christ. And he'd been transformed by that. And God had sent him out to explain the good news about the Father's love revealed in the Son, poured out by the Spirit, 
across the world. And Paul was this traveling missionary church planting uh, person who made such a huge impact. He traveled through uh, the Middle East. He came to a place uh, called Macedonia, which was in Europe, and uh, crossed over the sea, came into Europe, and he came to this town called Thessalonica. There was no church there. There was no Christians there, but he preached and he told people about Jesus. He explained the good news, and lives were changed. The amazing thing is that he was there for a really short time. We're told that he was there for three Sabbaths preaching to Jews in a synagogue, and then he was kicked out of there and uh, was there briefly. It could have been two months, maybe three at the most, but it was a matter really of weeks that he was there. And he preached this message, and lives were changed as people came to know Christ for themselves. Uh, And next thing you know, he gets kicked out of town. Imagine that, starting a brand new church, the oldest Christian, the person who's been a Christian for the longest, has been a Christian for less than three months, and your leader is gone. And yet they thrived, not because of who they were, but because the gospel changes lives, because God was at work in their midst. And so this church in Thessalonica was thriving, and Paul was missing them, and so he wrote a letter back to them. And that's what we've got in our hands. It's just a document that's been included in a collection of documents that we call the Bible. Okay, so let me just read this first bit to you as he talks about the transformation uh, that's occurred in their lives. And specifically, what we're going to see here is our vision statement in a chapter, right? We're going to see that the gospel is the glorious love of the Trinity toward us. We're going to see that the gospel transforms lives, And we're going to see that the gospel can transform all lives. Okay, so let's think first of all about the gospel itself, that it's the glorious love of the Trinity. As we read these first verses, see if you can spot God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we'll see what it says about that. So he starts off with a traditional greeting in those days. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you. And peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So you may be spotted as we went through there, reference to God the Father, to Jesus Christ, and to the Holy Spirit. It's amazing, as you go through the New Testament, you find time and time and time again that that the writers of these letters are captured by the reality of the fact that God is Trinity. God the Father and God the Son. God the Father who loved the Son and God the Son who responded in love for the Father and the Spirit who communicated that love or communicates that love back and forth between the Father and the Son. This, this God that the Bible presents to us, like Andy said earlier, is not what you might expect. He's not this power-hungry, self-absorbed kind of dictator in the sky. 
the God who is at the center of everything is a self-giving, loving, uh, celebrating the other person kind of God. And what he says specifically here, notice it in verse 4. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Loved by God, chosen by God. Isn't that amazing? I have to say, over the years, there's, there's been an unfortunate presentation of Christianity that has led people to think that there's kind of a good cop, bad cop thing going on with God. Where God the Father is this angry, frustrated, ready to smite you kind of a being, but it's okay because Jesus is on your side. You come across that idea? The father's ready to crush you, but the son holds him off and says, it's okay, dad, there with me. Oh, yes. Glad you reminded me of that because I wanted to crush him. And that's not what we see in the Bible. That's not the presentation that the Bible gives us. Yes, God is just. Yes, God is holy. Yes, God cannot tolerate sin, which is why he's done something about it. But what drove him to do what he did? It was love. And it's the Father's love that initiates. It's the Father's love that chooses. In another letter, later on, Paul wrote uh, to the Ephesians, and he developed this loved and chosen by God idea. In Ephesians, he starts by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And he tells us that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And that the Father's love has been lavished on us. Isn't that an amazing thought? Lavished? It, it makes me think of a chocolate fountain. I can't think of anything more lavish than a chocolate fountain. But the, the love of the Father is better than that because it's, it's been lavished on us. It's just poured out like, a, like God is the fountain and, and his love has just come toward us. And what is it that he's given us? It's better than chocolate. He's given us two things. He's given us the Son, and he's given us the Spirit. And that's what we see in Thessalonians. That's what Paul develops in Ephesians and in other places. Because you're loved and because you're chosen, God has given you his Son. The loving, choosing goodness of God means that Jesus came into the world that first Christmas. Because God loves us. He sent Jesus to come into this world to show us what God is like and ultimately to rescue us from being captured by the false gods that we've fallen for. The idea that, that we can be God, the idea that we can have life according to our own guidelines and that God's irrelevant. God sent his son to, to say, no, 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 the reality is not that. The reality is my father's love. And to demonstrate it, Jesus went all the way to the cross and he willingly offered his own life to be hung on that cross, to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have life, so that we can have relationship with God, so that we can have the spirit of God. He came to share. Think about it this way. The father so loved us, he gave his son. The son so loved us, he gave his life. Or to put it another way, the son so loved us that he gave us his relationship with his father. He, he said, this, this relationship that I've enjoyed with my father for all of eternity that has been completely thrilling and satisfying, 
I want you to have it. And so Paul can write in Thessalonians about the joy of the Holy Spirit because that's what that is. Having the Spirit who forever has united Father and Son in this perfect relationship. Now, because Jesus has died and paid the price, the Spirit has, if you like, been purchased for us. And we can now have the Spirit. And so, how do we know what it means to be loved by God? To be loved and chosen by God? Well, we think back 2,000 years and we think back to Jesus hanging on the cross an objective fact of history, that proves God loves you. But also, right now, God sends his spirit into our hearts. If we're his, if we're responsive to him and open to it, he sends his spirit into our hearts to whisper into our hearts, that really happened and that was for you. The Father really is wonderful and he really does love you. And the Spirit works to to convince us and to seal in us the reality, the truth of the gospel. And so Paul's writing to the Thessalonians and and he says, you know what? The gospel, it's the, the glorious love of the Trinity toward us that you're loved and you're chosen. And that brings transformation. Notice the transformation in this passage. There's a lot of it. This is really the main thrust, I think, of this first chapter. First of all, notice verse 3. We've read it already, but look at it again. Verse 3, Paul says, uh, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, hope. Faith, hope, love. You choose the order, but Paul likes those three. He puts those in a lot at the start of his letters. It's like these are the Christian virtues. This is, this is what's going on on the inside of somebody who's been or being transformed by the gospel. There's faith, that is, trust in God, that the gaze of our hearts goes toward him. There, there's hope, the anticipation of our hearts is for him. There's love, the overflow of our hearts comes from him and reflects him. Faith, hope, and love. And, and Paul puts that there just like he does in all his letters because the gospel does a work inside us. But notice that he doesn't leave it inside. Paul doesn't just say, so now you gather together and you can kind of pat each other on the back because there's some nice things happening on the inside. No, he refers to it as, uh, where are we, the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope. This is kind of inner reality showing on the outside, isn't it? Faith works and Your love labors, it gives. And so Paul's talking about a transformation that shows. When people encounter the love of God, it changes them. It changes us on the inside and that change shows on the outside. He goes on in verse 6 to to give a, a really, I think, very significant comment where he says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. The transformation that the gospel brings isn't in the absence of challenges. It's in the midst of them. It's easy for us to think and, and, and wish for, uh, if only, you know, if only we could have a trouble-free year, month, maybe day. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? And I'd love to be able to say, hey, you know, special news, newsflash, 2015 is going to be easy. It's not. 
As I look back on the last year, we can celebrate God's faithfulness to us as a church, but we, we celebrate that faithfulness with some very, very painful memories. Loss of loved ones, miscarriage, uh, job insecurities, health scares, relational breakdowns, uh, relationships that were really close, now strained and pulled apart. The last year has been really tough for individuals here, and yet God's been faithful through that. And as we anticipate 2015, the truth is, it's going to be tough. There are going to be challenges. There are going to be disappointments. There are going to be moments where we cry. There are going to be moments where we're angry. There are going to be moments where we feel let down by one another. Maybe even moments where we feel let down by God. But the truth is that he doesn't let us down, that he's faithful. And that as we look to him, as we encounter his love, he continues to transform us Not despite the tough times, but especially in the tough times. I I don't know what this year is going to bring. And and I'm thankful that God hasn't told me. Because I probably couldn't handle it either for my sake or, or for yours. But he knows and he can handle it. And he invites us to take him by the hand and take this year one step at a time. Allowing his love to be at work in us and through us toward one another. You see, the gospel transforms lives, not just on the inside, but on the outside. Not just in the good times, but in the tough times. And then you come to the end of the passage. Let me read the rest of it, because this is the bit that I just, I I think is so fantastic as a description of gospel transformed lives. Verse, uh, where do we get to? Seven. So verse eight. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but from your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves, that's all the people in the region, report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. Now, here's the description I want us to see. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Three things that occur when a life encounters God's love. Number one, there's a turn. Number two, there's service. Number three, there's a waiting They turn to God from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. Let's just take those one at a time and think about them not just in terms of the Thessalonians years ago, but in terms of us, 2015, to turn to God from idols. Now, you might say, well, that's very quaint, idols, little statues on shelves. I haven't seen, uh, I can't remember seeing an idol now for about 20 years. I was in Panama and I walked into this little Coca-Cola type shop where they sold Coke and various other things. And on the shelf was this little idol with incense burning. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's an idol. I haven't seen one of those where I'm from so much. And, you know, we tend to think of idol as being kind of a thing of the past or a thing of the East, right? But the reality is that idols are a part of all of our lives, Oh, we might not do anything as weird and as, as we would see it, strange and perhaps even stupid as, as burning things in front of a little statue and feeding it food and bowing down before it. But, but actually, some of the things we do are equally bizarre, aren't they? Where we pour out our energies and our resources and burn up our lives in front of something that has no reality to it. A very famous and significant Christian said once that the human heart is an idol factory. 
that every one of us from birth is an expert at manufacturing idols. You see, what we do is we take something, even something that's good, and we turn it into something that's God. And it can be a statue, it can be a piece of wood or a piece of metal, or it can be something else. Something that in our lives somehow takes the place of God. Something good becoming God and capturing our hearts. How do you identify idols? Be easy, wouldn't it? If, if it was like some statues, I've turned from my statues. I've burned them. That would be easy. Unless, of course, you're living in fear of it. Then it's a very big deal. But for us, what are our idols? Notice that I'm not saying maybe some of us have idols. I'm not kind of raising it as a possibility. I'm just admitting on your behalf that I and we all do have idols. Our, our hearts naturally generate them. And so the question isn't if we have them. The question is, what are they? And so here's uh, three little tests I'm going to put up on the screen for you. And you might want to make a note of these. And then later, uh, look at these tests and pray through them. Because the key here is not to evaluate your own life as if you're in charge, but to talk to God about it and say, God, would you show me? You maybe use these tests, but show me what, what's an idol in my life. Um, first one. Number one, the lose it test. If, if you lose something and your reaction is a little bit more than it should be, if your reaction is inordinately emotional at losing, it could be a possession, it could be a position, it could be somebody's respect, it, it, could, be, it could be any number of things. But if you lose something and it brings a reaction in you, that it could be anger, it could be steaming wrath and rage, it could be sulkiness and moodiness. Let's admit it, some of us don't explode, but we can sulk with the best of them. If, if something brings that kind of reaction when it's gone, maybe that's an indication that it was an idol. That that money or that job or that position or that hobby or that interest or that person had become an idol to us when the reaction just seems to be a little bit more than it should be. The second test is the uh, think-speak test. What do you think about when you have a chance to think about something? You're lying awake in bed at night and your brain's racing. What, what's, what's on your mind? We wake up in the morning, first thing. What's the first thing that comes to mind? When you're standing in the bank and you've got a few minutes before you get to the front of the line, where does your mind go? That could be an indication. It's not automatic. Sometimes our mind goes to things because we care and we love. And it's, you know, and certainly mothers. I, mothers lie awake worrying about their children. I'm not saying your children are idols. It's natural to, to have concern. But, but it's worth asking the question, what is it that's driving my thoughts, the thoughts of my heart? And another angle on this is the speak element of it. When you're speaking, what subject gets your energy going? What subject, when it comes up, makes you get animated and excited and, and, and passionate and committed in a way that you weren't about other things? That could be an indication. doesn't mean it is, but it could be an indication that that thing is becoming more than good. It's becoming a god. So the think-speak test you can try that, see how that works. The lose it test, the think, speak test. And the third one is the invest test. Say that fast 20 times in a row. The invest test. That is take your credit card statement and look at where you invest your money. Checkbook, pocket money, whatever it is. 
And if you haven't got any, which is a common issue, where would you spend it if you had it? Or where has it gone? It could be money spent on, on things that are necessities because they're now in place and have to be paid, but are they necessities? It could be uh, discretionary kind of free spending money. Where does that tend to go? And when, when it goes in certain directions, but you're very reticent to release it in others and to give, then, then maybe the money is an indicator that there's something going on in the heart. We'll think more about that one next week. So the lose it test, the think speak test, the invest test, take these before God and say, God, would, would you show me if, if, if something is God in my life instead of you, if I'm living for something else, shine a light on it because I want to turn from that. I want to turn to you. They turn to God from idols. Secondly, it says to serve the true and living God. It's not an earthquake. It's the kids club. (laughs) They, they, They turn to God to serve him. And it may be that as we come into a new year and as you you pause and and sort of take stock of of where you're at, that as you talk to God about it, that that you you realize actually it may not be an idle issue right now. Maybe the issue is service, that maybe God is inviting you to step forward and give of yourself more. Invest your time and and your energies in a way that perhaps in the past you've guarded and self-protected a little bit. And then the third thing he talks about is waiting for Christ. You see, when when a life is really gripped, it brings a turn in terms of what the life is all about, what the the person is living for. And it it brings a change in activity and energy and where that's spent and what the person is, is living for each day and with the time that they have. And then the third thing is that it brings a change in terms of the heart's desire. Uh, Somebody who's really encountered the love of God will be so captivated by the beauty and the wonder of who God is that they can't wait to meet Jesus. Maybe you've been a Christian 10, 20, 30 years. When was the last time you're driving along and you looked up at the clouds and thought, are you coming soon, Lord? Because I want to see you. When was the last time you woke up in the morning and thought, could it be today, Lord? Because I really want to see you. Because that's the, that's the natural response. And I, I have to take stock and go, hang on a minute. Why have I not had those thoughts perhaps so much recently? What, what's captivating me? What's becoming bigger in my life than seeing Jesus? You see, Paul came to Thessalonica. He preached the gospel, the message of God's love, the, the Father's love revealed in the Son, poured out by the Spirit, and lives were changed. They turned. They served. They waited. There was transformation. And I think as we come into a new year and as we look forward and maybe look back a little bit, I think it's a good idea to just look up and to say, okay, Lord, where am I at? Maybe just right now we could just pause and just think and process and say, okay, God, if, if you want to put your finger on something in my life, would you do it right now? Just, just flag it up for me. Maybe it's an idol. Maybe there's something in my life that is more important to me than you. Something good has become a God. Uh, And actually, sometimes we don't need to think too long. Sometimes we we, we try to think to get away from the thing that is right in our face. Because when we say to God, God, show me, he can do it very fast. 
something, someone, some issue, some hobby, some interest, some TV show, something that's become an idol. God invites us to turn to him and find that he is far more satisfying. Knowing him is life. Maybe as we pause and reflect, God's spirit puts his finger on the issue of service. You say, you know what? I have been holding back and I I do want to give. I I do want to give myself away a bit more. Maybe you want to give yourself away in church. Talk to us. There's plenty of roles still to fill, plenty of stuff still to do. Or maybe there's something you say, you know what? I've been, I've been dying to do this, but I've not done anything about it. Talk to us. We might be able to help you. You see that a life gripped by the gospel is a life that gives of itself to others. And maybe it's just that third one, waiting for his son from heaven. Maybe as we stop and pause before God, it's the Spirit's work in our hearts to say, you know what? Let's make 2015 the year where your greatest desire becomes to see Christ, to know Christ more. Not just talk about it, not just kind of have this rhythm of life where he's part of it, but, but where he becomes everything where he becomes the only and the ultimate source of satisfaction. I'd encourage us all to take some time as we uh, head past this message. We'll have some time of quiet where maybe God will convict us a little bit. As we head on through the day, maybe take a few moments and pull up the three tests or read through the passage. Just take some time and say, God, I can't self-diagnose because I don't get me. I'm a, I'm a mess, and if I self-diagnose, I get even more messy. But you can, and so I'm looking to you. Would you search me and try me and show me if there's something in me that, that needs to turn or, or something that, that where I could serve or, or maybe that my, my longing is for something other than you? Because the, the glorious love of the Trinity, which is the gospel, transforms lives in real ways. That's what we're going to keep pondering in the next weeks. But the exciting thing about it as well is that this is not just about us. You see, as you read through this, several times in this passage, we've seen where Paul says that they've heard about it. The whole of Macedonia and Achaia, everybody's heard about it. The report has spread. Paul went to this town, preached this message. Lives were changed and then other lives were changed. And that's our prayer, isn't it? We didn't start Trinity Chippenham to come together to find the whole, this kind of shape, in order for us to have a social club where we get to meet one another, you know, like one another. We do, but you know, just like one another and be nice and happy together, and, and that's it. The, the, the reason Trinity Chippenham exists is for all to be transformed with the glorious love of the Trinity. And so as we head into this year, may our prayer be as a church that God would do his transforming work in us because we all need it and through us because so does everybody else. I'm excited about 2015. I mean, I'm excited about the, the people that, that may come uh, here and, and hear about Jesus or, or may read 321 as we give copies away. Let's see how many copies of these we can get rid of this year uh, to people. And as people read that and as, as people... Uh, talk to us at work, whatever it is, wherever it is, family and colleagues and neighbors and friends. I'm excited about the love of God giving hope and life and meaning and purpose to life after life, family after family, sphere of connection after sphere of connection. 
Let's pray that God does that this year. That we will not be just transformed ourselves, but we will have the joy of seeing other lives transformed too.